We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We've been dealing with a series so far titled The Christ Conscious Believer. So we said to look at indicators of a Christ conscious believer. We said number one, that a Christ conscious believer is grateful for the cross. And number two, a Christ conscious believer is uh, one who understands the twofold significance of the resurrection, right? Justification, which would have been impossible without his resurrection to impute that righteousness unto us. And of course, eternal life and eternal preservation because men, if Christ did not rise, they, your, your, your faith is in vain, you know, and you are lost basically. And everybody else who has died in Christ is lost. Um, but thank God that he rose. Right? And in his rising is our, is our guarantee to rise as well. So we're going to go on today. Let's look at, at our third indicator of a Christ-conscious believer, which means you're getting a third um, action point. Does that make sense? A third thing to, to be prompted in your spirit. And please, it's not prompted because I said go and do it. I mean, as your under-shepherd, as your leader, as your pastor, I will say stuff for you to do. But your doing is not because I said it. Your doing is because there's supposed to be a resonating in your spirit mm -hmm. that what you are being told to do is what the spirit is prompting you to do. Do you understand? Otherwise, it becomes legalism. It becomes you doing something because your pastor said so. It becomes you doing something because your pastor suggested so. Or doing something because your pastor does that. That's why if you notice, those of you that follow me and, 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 and serve with me in a local church, I am not one that will constantly tell you what my spiritual habits are. So the fact that I pray, I wake up at 2 a.m. to pray, or the fact that I wake up three hours a day, or the fact that I fast on a particular day of the week, doesn't mean that's what you should do. Does that make sense? But as you're hearing that there are things that we do as spiritual activities, as spiritual exercises, you're supposed to be able to be prompted in your spirit by the spirit of God because he doesn't bear witness with your mind or your body. He bears witness with your spirit. So every prompting that will come from God, that prompting will happen from your spirit to act upon a word consciously, to change your habits, to form a new habit, to, to do something differently to what you've always done before. That is when you know you have received. And I feel like I have preached the message for today for somebody. For somebody, you just need to know that you have not received the word of God if it has not prompted you to act upon it because the word of God is quick, active, and powerful. Third indicator of a Christ-conscious believer. We'll go into that tonight and the Lord will help me with that because man, I could do this alone as a series for 12 weeks. This, this one indicator alone, I can teach it for, for the whole year, really. Because the Christ-conscious believer number three is one that acknowledges that he had no part to play in the salvation plan. The Christ-conscious believer is one that acknowledges that he has no part to play in the salvation plan. The Christ-conscious believer is one who acknowledges that he had no part to play in the salvation plan. The Christ-conscious believer is one who acknowledges, hmm? acknowledge, hands up, ginosko, you know that you had no part to play in the salvation plan. In other words, at whatever level that you think you have a part to contribute in your salvation, that is the degree to which you are unconscious of Christ. 
the level to which you think you must have had something to add to the salvation plan. And I wish everybody was watching this, even those that don't like me and what I teach. Because you see, you can dislike a messenger, but you must, if you're objective, you should be open to receive the word of truth when it is rightly divided. You know what I mean? Rightly divided. That's why I say always share. Give everybody an opportunity to participate in this. Because we're looking at the word. According to scripture, there's nowhere in scripture that Paul commended anybody for trying to sustain their salvation. Not one place. There's no one place where Paul or any of the apostles indeed commended. And if you look at the word of God, rightly divided. Some of you just sit down with King James, read King James and say, this is what the Bible says. And then you stick with it. I saw a post the other day. Somebody said, um, um, oh, they said that you don't need to repent in order to be um, in order to be born again, you don't need to confess your sins, right? But, um, but it's, it's not in the same Bible where it writes repentance from dead works. And then it says continue or something like that. And I just shook my head. I'm like, oh, so repentance from dead works now is repentance from sin. So you have now combined or married sin and dead works. Such a person does not understand that you can be in the kingdom and be doing works that are dead. Dead works in the context of Hebrews 6, we're referring to works that are being done for or to sustain or to aid salvation. It was dealing with the Hebrews. Does that make sense? People who were trying to use the law or use works to prop up their faith. It had nothing to do with repentance from sin. But how, 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 how would you know when all you're in is King James Bible? A language that came hundreds of years after these things were written in the original language. So if we're looking at the word of God, we're looking at the word of God rightly divided and there's no student of scripture that will use the word balance. No, no apt student of scripture will say, well, we need to balance the word of God. You, you need to balance a word of God. God, the word of God by which he framed the worlds. It was not balanced enough. He was not balanced enough you know, because he's the word. He died resurrected, paid for your salvation and everything. And you now, he now saved you so you can now come and help him to balance. The word of God is for right dividing, not for balancing. Ugo put up something on his Facebook this morning. I woke up and I was studying things that hit me and I'm going to read it. He, 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 he titled it, Police Checkpoint. Stop for routine checks. And he says, 2 John 1 and 10, if someone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite him into your house or encourage him in any way. This is the Bible. 2 John 1, 10. Put it up. 2 John 1, 10, NLT. The Christ-conscious believer is one that acknowledges that what? He has no part to play in the salvation plan. No part. No part. Here, John, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your house or encourage him in any way. So first of all, we need to establish what the truth about Christ is. Anyway, I'm reading what the reverend wrote. And he says, and does not teach the truth about Christ. What is the truth about Christ? Paul calls it elsewhere, the truth about the gospel. And then he, he puts Galatians 2 and 14. Galatians 2 and 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, 
I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in, in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And he goes on to say, what is the truth of the gospel? That anyone who has put his faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is accepted, justified, and declared righteous, not by what he did, but by his faith in Christ. This is Ugo's words. Galatians 2.16, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. This is the teaching, in, in brackets, doctrine of Christ. This is what Jesus himself meant when he told them in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. He also drew the disciples' attention to this matter after his resurrection in Luke 24, 25 to 27 and 44 to 47, pointing out to them that this is the truth about Christ. He must suffer and enter into his glory. And to what end is this? Romans 8, 3. Romans 4.25, yeah, he was um, given up for our trespasses, right? I showed you that last week and was raised up for our justification. And then Romans 10, 1 to 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. Warning, he repeats, John, 2 John 1.11. He started by, by quoting 2 John 1.10. 2 John 1.11, anyone who encourages him that does not teach the truth about Christ becomes a partner in his evil work. CNLT again. So let's go from verse 10. 2 John 1.10 If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your house, your home, or give any kind of encouragement. 11. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. Isn't that some really serious stuff? Doesn't sound like a joke, does it? And I replied on the comment and I said, now so the matter serious, sir. That was my response. Because that's how serious it is. The, the mixtures we have in the body are a function of people that are not yet completely conscious of Christ and what he has done. Or a bunch of people that know what Christ has done, know the reach, the range, the scope of it, and are deliberately downplaying it for personal benefit. Because nobody who, who, who wants to be honest with scripture can divorce or debate the totality of the finished work of Christ. Listen to me, it's either finished or it's not. What he did was either sufficient or else he lied. And I've said this to my people a lot of times. I said, or else he has to come back and re retrieve that it is finished. That he shouted on the cross. Because he left some for you to deal with. But you had nothing to do with the salvation plan. If you are going to convince anybody that you have something to do with being born again, you are going to have to convince that person that you had something to do with being born I've said this everywhere I go to teach. You're going to have to convince because if any of you here listening to me 
had anything to do with being born, none of you, none of you watching me would choose to have been born in Nigeria. As you're about to come out and realize that it's UCTH, Uniben Teaching Hospital, eh? you look, you just go back inside. You see, the water broke, stitch it back together. I'm not coming out. I don't want to be born in Nigeria. You come out, you, you're listening to the conversations in your mom's womb, you know? You're listening to the conversations. You, you can figure out that this house, money, no day. <laughs> if I come out to this house, I'm going to public school. If I come out in this house, I'm going to go and set Gary in the afternoon. If I come out in this house, I'm going to be born in a keke or something. Or one auntie from church. How many of you know those aunties from church that specialize in giving birth to babies? You know, <laughs> one auntie from church is going to come and burn me in the house. If I come out in this house, you will change house. I'm not being born in a yard. Have to be born in a, in a mansion. You have your own room. You have your nannies. You will not at all choose to be born where you were born. You will not. You will not. You had nothing to do with it. You were born. You began to grow. And then we began to inform you how you were born. How do you know that you, your father is your father? I've said this over and over. How do you know? Because as you began to grow, they told you that this person is your father. How many of you have done DNA tests to prove that your father is your father? How many, have done, how many of you have done DNA tests to prove that your mother is your mother? You go to the hospital. The doctor tells you this is what it is. You believe it. You go to the lawyer. The lawyer tells you this is what it is. You believe it. You go to secondary school. Your teacher tells you this is what it is. You believe it. You go to build a house. The foreman tells you, if you, you guy, go build this pillar. The pillar will, will bend. The house will fall. You believe it. Then the word of God tells you what you are in Christ. That's the one you want to prove. Christ consciousness. That's the one you're like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait first. Let us, let us analyze it carefully. Let us, no, no, let, you know, you now come and quote Berean Christians. We don't understand the context of what the Bereans were dealing with. By the way, they were not even called Christians. It was the Jews, Berean Jews. They were coming into a different, let me not go into that. They were coming into a message different to what they were accustomed to. These were people who had grown up living according to the law. That's all they knew, law. And then you come and tell them that this, as, as, as NLT puts Romans 3, I think 21, that God has created another way for us to be made right with him, apart from keeping the law. That's what they had to go and check. I, I, sometimes you don't understand the timeline of scripture. Everything about grace that Paul preached, where did Paul preach it from? From Genesis to Malachi. Now imagine that you had this law. You had this Torah. You had this Pentateuch all along and all you were seeing was animals, killing, you know, laws and all of that. You had this thing. You never saw Christ. Somebody comes and then takes the same book. Are you following me? Yes, sir. The same book that for 4,000 years governed religion, governed people's approach to God. Not a different book. The same books, the same prophets, the same law, the same Moses. And from the same books begins to tell you, see Christ here now. See Christ in Samson. See Christ in Delilah. See Christ in Solomon. See Christ in Joseph. See Christ in David. These Berean Jews had to go back and go and search. It's true. See Christ. Because it was a different message. Not that every time the apostles spoke to them, before they believed the word of God, they have to go and search to see what it was so. That's not the context of that teaching. That's not the context of that narrative. 
Because I've said over and over, the default response of a believer to God's word is that of believing. That's why you are a believer. Your default response to God's word is that of what? Believing. Why do you believe? Because it is God's word. Not because you understand it. Not because it has made sense to you. But because it is God's word. So we take it. But the average human being, I taught a message on, it's on YouTube years ago. I said the greatest pursuit of a human being on earth is that of making sure everything makes sense. It's not designed to make sense, but one and two, I was wearing like a dark pink shirt. Big collar, as I used to. It's not designed to make sense. The average, the, not, why do we want to go to Mars? There are still uninhabited places on earth. Australia has a lot of places where there's nobody. New Zealand has a lot of places where there's nobody. We have deserts. We have the Amazon is largely uninhabited. There's loads of places where there's nobody. You are dreaming about moving human beings to go and start life on Mars. So that what will happen? Because human beings want to conquer stuff. You want stuff to make sense. And where stuff is not making sense, hmm, there's a problem. And so we want everything to make sense. Before we believe it. So, so let's make sense of this. You had anything to do with being born. Nobody did. They began to grow and they pointed to somebody in the house and said, Dada, no, mommy, say, open your mouth and say, mama, mommy, mama. And then you start to say, mama, mommy. And they point you to somebody and said, mama, mommy. And that's it, you believe it. I'm not saying your father is not your father. I'm not saying your mother is not your mother. But I'm saying even if they were, you will not know. Because they just told you, this is your father. You just grew up. Did you ever wake up one day and ask your mommy, at, say, mommy, mommy, are you sure that this is my daddy? Daddy, are you sure that this is, the, this is my mommy? Try it in Nigeria. And see the kind of ministration you receive. You just believed it. And then they tell you that this is where you're from. That's why I thank God for Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship yeah. is in heaven. Yeah. From where we also expect a savior. Case closed. Citizens of heaven. How many of you ever went to the doctor and before you, the doctor did a surgery on you or treated you, you asked to see the doctor's medical license? You have ever gone to the doctor and the doctor says, I want to treat you, I want to do a surgery. And you say, doctor, I have to see your medical license first. You, you enter the clinic. It looked like a clinic. Somebody came to you and said, my name is Dr. So-and-so. He looked like a doctor. And says, you have da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's what it sounded. It sounded like a medical thing. We're going to cut you open. And then you let somebody inject you, pass you out, and open your body to do stuff. You didn't ask for license. You didn't ask to see which... Sir, was it two when you graduated it? Or was it fourth class? Sir, <laughs> so please, in Nigeria, a lot of people used to sort to pass exams. I say, doctor, did you sort or did you actually read and pass? Do you know what you're saying, what you're doing? You never did that. You just believed that the doctor is a doctor. And then the word of God, God without which nothing was made that was made, yes. says to you that is not of works, lest any man should boast. By grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And you're like, no, 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 we have to do something. We have to work at our salvation. We have to, you know, we have to. We, we. A Christ-conscious believer is one who acknowledges he has not, 
no part to play in the salvation plan. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't participate in being born. You cannot be born again except you have been successfully born. Hence the phrase, born again. You were born and then you now needed to be born again. Does that make sense? Now, if you were not born with your participation, how then can you successfully argue on the balance of probabilities that you were born again with your participation? It would have meant that, meant that God shifted the goalpost and changed the requirements such that you didn't have anything to do to be born, but now you had to participate in being born again. If an unbeliever has to participate in being born again, then that person is not really an unbeliever. It means the person has something to offer. So we miss the concept of original sin, the fact that when man fell, as in the case of Adam in Genesis 3, mankind as inside Adam fell because man was mankind when man was created Adam in the in the person of Ish the male and Isha the female in 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 that Adam one specimen was the prototype for the entire nations of the earth that every human being will come according to the order of that Adam so that Adam falls that Adam sins original sin it's called I've explained this to you before in, 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 in well, those of you who are part of our family, I've explained this in previous teachings. You want to look at Christ's preservative. You want to look at, is my salvation really eternal? You want to look at, he swapped it, exploring the great exchange. You want to look at, um, stayed by the gospel, um, staying with the gospel. These are, these are some of the teachings that you find on Podbean that will explain the concept of salvation to you in a more detailed light. But Adam falls, what happens is that the prototype, the entire prototype is corrupted. So when, when we're going to make a phone like this, we don't make 10 million phones like this to get it perfect. We take our time and get one phone perfect. So as in the case of Apple iPhones, for instance, there's numerous prototypes. And by prototype, I mean, I mean that the entire factory takes their time to produce one phone. And that one phone or one specimen is given to an engineer to now go and use in, in everyday life. Check it in a bar, check it traveling, see how, how easy it is to grip, see if it sleeps, see if the camera thing is okay, see if the color fades, see if the gorilla glass screen can hold up against stuff, test the IP rating of water, waterproofing, see how it functions, bring it back into the factory after two weeks and let us adjust stuff. And then they'll take that phone back and then go and Trim the bezels, for instance, yeah? Tighten the phone port, you know? Increase or recalibrate the audio based on real-time testings. Yeah. Does that make sense? And continue to tweak until they get that single phone perfect. Once they get that single phone perfect, they now start to build, and it's the same way everything pretty much is done. Once they get that single mold perfect, they now build molds by which instead of trying to cut the metal for every single phone, they create a mold. So that once you pour the aluminum or the alloy into that mold, it sets millions of this thing in the same order. Does that make sense? So every single um, retail uh, product begins to roll off the perfected or imperfected prototype. 
So if there's a problem with the battery or there's a slight chip from the mold, everything that rolls off that mold will be corrupted. Does that make sense? Man, Adam, was God's prototype. Adam sins. Guess what? Everything and everyone that would have come from Adam arrives a sinner. Are you following this? Because the prototype is corrupted. You did not do anything to become a sinner. You arrived a sinner. You arrived as when you were born. Yeah, yeah, crying. You know, oh, look at this cute baby. Innocent baby, so cute. As you were cute like that, you were a big bundle of evil. Think about it. Oh, this baby is so cute. That baby that you hold is so cute. It will bite you. <laughs> Did anybody teach babies how to bite? No. How do babies know how to bite? bite. Sin. Yeah. I hope this is instructing somebody. Yes, sir. Baby is hungry. Baby is angry. Starts to cry. Who taught a baby how to be angry? Oh, parents, children are always watching their parents and seeing, copying what their parents, this baby arrived day one. Baby is angry that you didn't give him milk. Where did baby learn anger from? It's funny, but it's profound. Because at that time, the baby has not had a, an opportunity to even physically see the world. How much more observe? And don't tell me that the anger was translated from the placenta. In the mother's womb. In my mother's womb, you have angered me. <laughs> no. The baby arrives a big bundle of sin. Now look at me. Even if you live 200 years on the earth after you have been born, you will never be a bigger sinner than the sinner you were when you were just born. Uh, you would never ever, the, the sinner you are, is the sinner that you arrived being. Not the sinner of what you do that is wrong. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And I wish I had time to push this further. So you are a sinner not because of what you did. You are a sinner because of how you arrived. How did you arrive? Through Adam who had the original flaw. This is making sense. And therefore, everything that that Adam gives birth to must of necessity arrive with the same flaw. No exceptions. No exceptions. So you arrive. Are you of the seed of the first Adam when you were born? Yes. You are a sinner. Complete, pressed down, shaking together, running over. The rest of your life just becomes a natural progression, an expression of the sinner you are intrinsically. So listen to me. Even if you never do anything wrong, you are a fully certified, authenticated sinner. Otherwise, people who are born natural sinners and live their lives, all of their lives doing good and die without hurting anybody should have made heaven. By their good works. But it's not works. If it were works, man, there have been some good guys in the earth. Think of Gandhi, for instance. People that never set a foot wrong. 
People that lived lives of absolute. Have you met the Sikhs? Oh, they're the sweetest people on the surface of the earth. Ever, everywhere you go. They will not, they don't kill flies. You're taking the sanctity of life. They don't kill ants. They nurture them. They don't squash flowers. But you know who we all are? Sinners. Mega sinners. Mega sinners. You know mega. You know when it's big and big is not enough? Yeah? Hyper and hyper is not enough. Mega sinner. So all the rest of your life, the volume of your sin is not in question. Do you understand? The, the fact just remains that you're a sinner. Why? Because one person got it wrong. So now, here's the conundrum with God. How are we going to fix this whole world now? Because these sinners are multiplying, and as they are multiplying, sin is multiplying on the earth. We wiped away the whole world, right? As in the case of Noah. Cleaned it up. The people that survived... The flood has not finished drying. <laughs> Noah's sons began to manifest. And it comes again. So how many times will you be wiping the world? So instead of wiping the world, I'm going to wipe the world. I'm not going to wipe the world. I'm just going to wipe the world. How am I going to do that? I'm going to have to change these people. I'm not going to kill all of them and destroy them. I'm just going to change them. How am I going to change them? I'm going to keep them in the world and just burn them again. Do you understand? I'm going to wipe the world. I'm not wiping the world, but I'm going to wipe it. Let's just, let's, let's burn them again. Let's create a fresh prototype. Introduce that prototype and give the entire world an opportunity to be born Again, yeah. just be born through this prototype and keep going. And so he said, who shall go for us? Who shall we send? And Jesus comes into the picture. Romans chapter 5. You, you arrive the sinner, mega sinner, mega, mega. Do you understand? You, the way your sins were stinking when you were born in that hospital or that keke or that bench <laughs> or, or on that floor wherever you were born. That's the same way it stunk until Christ. Everything was a manifestation of your sin. Does that make sense? Everything was a manifestation of your sin. That's why even your good works did not count in your favor because intrinsically you're a sinner. Ah, oh, man, I hope you're coming along with me. Yes. I have to try and close this thing quickly, but nothing good you did could change your status. Because your DNA is messed up. Does that make sense? Nothing good. We all agree to this, don't we? Even the religious people agree. The people that are fighting the message of grace, they agree. That no good thing you could have done would have made you righteous. Because you arrived a sinner. Hmm? You are a sinner. You did a few good things. You couldn't become righteous. You couldn't get into eternal life. You are righteous. You did a few bad things. Ah, you are going to hell. You are condemned. Why are the standards different, sir? Ah, pastor, you've been telling me you've been giving them license to sin. 
he who loves God does not sin. I write to you, brethren, that you may know you have eternal life, that you will not sin. You will not do wrong, not to lose eternal life, but because you understand that wrong is no longer in your nature. Yes, sir. So the wrong you are doing now is because you're not conscious of the fact that in Christ, wrong has been removed from you. So we don't show you how, uh, to, I'm going to start a series for the next 14 weeks. I'm going to explain to you the 19 dangers of sin. What is it going to help you to do? <laughs> At the end of 19 weeks, you understand sin so much. In that 19 weeks, there are sins that you didn't even know existed, that you will now be instructed in. And then you now open yourself up to portals of manifestation of evils you did not know that you have were, were, were in existence and therefore you do not think you were capable of. We are the ones that have messed up the church in trying to be deep. In trying to teach mysteries. Let me show you 14 ways to fall away from grace. Why do you need it? 26 ways that you can lose your righteousness. Let me point to you 40 things that can steal your holiness. You all know what I'm talking about. Did they keep you from, from falling from holiness? According to their standard of holiness. They led you into it. Paul says, I will not have known what sin was until the law came. I will not have known what sin was until the law came. You arrived a sinner. Nothing good you could have ever done would have made you righteous. I can't finish this today. Romans 5. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. Oh, please give us the message now. Leave New King James. Give us the message. Let's see how the message puts this. Verse 12. Romans 12. Romans 5, 12. I beg your pardon. In the message. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we are in. <laughs> First, sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. Go back to the same verse in, the new, in, in NLT. 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Take that verse again. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought Death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Let's skip and let's go to verse 15. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. I, I'll, I'll go into that tomorrow. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. The sin of this one man brought death to many. Go to verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Take that line again. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Verse 18. Notice I'm skipping some bits. Verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Can you see that? Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. And let me give you a little point on where we're going, why I'm skipping those other ones. But Christ's one act of righteousness 
brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. 19. Romans, 8, 9, Romans 5, 19. Romans 5, 19. Because one person disobeyed God. Can you see that? Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Spoiler alert. Next line. But because one other person obeyed God. One person disobeyed. Everybody arrived disobedient. There is therefore no act of obedience an unbeliever can perform that makes him a believer. Because we all arrived sinful. Nothing. Nothing. We all arrived sinful. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. So we couldn't have in our unbelieving state, we couldn't have in our disobedient state been able to participate in our rebirth. Because no offering, no prayer, no utterance, no participation would have been counted in our favor. I don't know if this makes sense. That's why I've taken time to establish this premise. Nothing you could have said or done would have been accepted as worthy enough to pay for your translation from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Nothing. Nothing. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we are confronted with the realities of God's word. This is where legalism begins to tremble and understand that it has nothing to stake its claim on. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and we'll close there for today and pick up tomorrow. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Ephesians 2, 8 in the NLT. See that clearly, as clear as daylight. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Yes. Run verse 8 again. Ephesians 2, 8 in the NLT. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Say to yourself or your neighbor, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. See verse 9 in the NLT. It's so beautiful in the NLT. It says salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Ephesians 2.9, NLT. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have. Is it in your Bible? So none of us can boast about it. You can't take credit for it. You can't take credit for being born. We established that painstakingly. You can't also take credit for being born again. So if you participated in your salvation process, uncle, you are not saved. If you participated in being born again, you are still stuck in the law. You are still stuck in works. You are still stuck in the old nature. You are still stuck in your old life. And that's why we don't believe yet that we have been born into a totally new life. That's what being born again means. Like I said when I started, how you know you have received the word of God is that it prompts you to act on it. The Christ conscious believer 
acknowledges that he or she had no part to play in the salvation plan. You can't take credit for it. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.